is the Movie Hall of Fame or Movie Hopping or whatever you want to call it for Thursday, July 18th, 2019. And across the table, that demented son of a bitch, Adam Hall. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I am, I'm the most demented of anybody here. I mean, not the most demented person we're going to talk about, though. Well, I can name a few names. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about a movie today. <laughs> yeah, we're just getting right into it now. Yeah, well, well, well actually, we can yeah, we can talk about our lives, too, I guess. Oh, <laughs> our lives? <laughs> yeah. I mean... Like how they were before? <laughs> right. <laughs> we can break down, like, the, the pleasant, innocent... Joy free or joy or joyful and carefree lifestyle we had before we walked into this theater. Yes. Uh you've been going to a bunch of concerts. Yeah. Well, I mean we we've talked extensively uh, a couple weeks ago when I went to James Taylor and we had planned this for a while. Uh so on Abby and I's anniversary I got her tickets to go see Art Garfunkel. Right. And, and we just went. Yeah. And it was absolutely wonderful. Was it? Absolutely wonderful. Okay. That is hard to believe, considering that Paul Simon literally did everything for that group. <laughs> and I didn't know that Art Garfunkel still did shit on his own. Yeah. I assume like the turnout or the demand wouldn't be that high, but... No, it was a packed house. Really? Like, almost every... Yeah, I think it was completely sold out. It was great. No kidding. Yeah. How was the set list? Did he just do all Simon and Garfunkel songs? Like, no, just the actually. Set? He did a lot of his uh, original stuff that he's done himself, and it was very good. Uh... He also told a lot of stories and get, showed us some of his poetry, which was excellent. And uh, <coughs> and then he did, of course, do the regular Simon and Garfunkel lineup. Yeah, and I it was awesome. The guy, the and it's weird. The guy is very old, and you could tell that, like, because he was telling stories about how he had lost his voice, which actually happened. He lost his voice for like six years. What do you mean he lost? It, it he just lost his disappeared. Vo- what happened? No, like, like he was suffering from like complications due to smoking. Oh. You know, like his his health. My was, God, it is thunderous oh, outside. It, they're coming for us. They are. It's, <laughs> yeah, we're setting the mood. It's the Swedish cult. <laughs> they found us. They found us. <laughs> Jesus, it's midsummer, isn't it? <laughs> hey, actually, what's the of, date today? Uh, July's eighteenth. Uh, oh my God. Oh God. Okay. Hey, regardless, <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's. He had complications with smoking for a long time, so he ended up losing his voice. And kind of slowly, he, he sort of coached himself back to health. And now he's singing again, and it sounds great. And you can tell, like, like he's, he's seasoned and that he, he was a smoker, so his voice isn't quite as more per- raspy. Yeah, it's not quite as perfect as it used to be, but it's amazing what he was still able to do regardless. I mean, yeah. this guy was, like, killing it. And Same thing happened to Elton John, right? Yeah. Exactly. I think he had like vocal cord surgery. Mm-hmm. He had blown out his voice after years and years of rocking and rolling. And then uh, they, and actually, what was interesting about Elton John is that his voice actually got more interesting yeah. post surgery. I agree. It's a little raspier, a little more rough around the edges. It's deeper. Yeah, it's deeper, a little more soul. Yeah. Um, and I just sort of respond to those types of voices more than like someone like Art Garfunkel, who at the time had the voice of an angel, essentially. Yeah, and yeah. honestly, still kind of does. Yeah, I have to, say, and I mean, it's it might it's gonna sound uh, like like cliche to say this, but when he's saying "Sound of Silence," yeah, it's like like oh my god, it was perfect. It was probably one one of the better numbers of the night. It was either that or Kathy's song. Did he do Troubled Water? Yep. Okay. Killed it. 
He did a funny rendition of it too. Like, oh, really? Like a little like like slightly down B and not exactly the same key. It was a version that Paul Simon had, uh, I think, recorded prior to the official release. So there were like two versions of it. And he sang that first one. He's like, that one's so much better. And wow. I just, I just want to sing that one for you guys. And I was like, yeah, it could be better. <laughs> it's funny. Paul Simon says the definitive version of Bridge Over Trouble Water is Aretha Franklin's version. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Which is an awesome version, but it's like a Motown there's a bunch of background singers and it's very heavily produced and it's I know it's not like the original which is just Garfunkel by himself right Paul Simon doesn't even appear on that record uh, no I think it's just Garfunkel sings and now he did much he wasn't involved in the writing of the song but because it's weird too because you'll see Paul Simon who was never that good a singer and I wouldn't even say that great a performer he's an interesting guy and a great mm-hmm. songwriter oh, and a, God, an American yeah. treasure but I wouldn't say like he's a captivating live presence no he does that song and there's a quality to it that's not quite right mm-hmm. and it's just because Garfunkel the way he sings it the ethereal like angelic quality is is lost now I think well I feel like art and one of the important things about him is that i feel like he understood the importance of paul's lyrics more than paul oh interesting yeah maybe because i mean he really does bring something to it that i like you don't quite see out of paul i mean his lyrics are phenomenal yeah but he doesn't quite have the 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 same range and and depth of emotion that like garfunkel was always able to do Well, he's also kind of a goofball paul kind of you know, he he writes silly songs, and he purposely writes silly songs, and I think it's almost like America is taking his lyrics more seriously than he does. Maybe. I mean, it's I th- I think he's just I think he's actually kind of widely varied, especially on songs like uh <coughs> like Kathy's song, which yeah. is like Abby and I's favorite. Mm. It's a beautiful beautiful song, and it was actually Garfunkel's favorite. And he did this awesome thing, like like he had quote unquote wrapped up. And we were both very disappointed that he didn't come out and sing Kathy's song, and uh, he goes away, and then he comes that out. That was again. the encore? Yeah. He's nice. like, all right, well, so let me sing my, my favorite song by Paul. Uh, this is Kathy's song. And we just freaked out. It was great. Wow. <laughs> it was awesome. And yeah, you know, I think the thing that made this uh, so interesting and powerful for, for, for me was that it actually felt like he was almost like performing it as if it was going to be his last performance. Yeah. It was really like, like actually kind of touching. To mm. see him up there. That's why I love seeing older musicians. Yeah. That, like, it, just seeing Beyonce in her prime, I mean, I might as well just watch a music video. There's nothing really unique about seeing that in person. Because it's the same variation of the same act you're going to see for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Later on, when you see him as he's older, there's something special and unique about getting someone at that period of their lives. Mm-hmm. And looking back on their on their uh, discography. Oh, God. And, you know, picking out the songs that mean the most to them, or maybe the ones that are forgotten, that to me is always more interesting. And you don't get the same level of honesty when they're younger. That's, well, yeah. I, I, like, this guy was just, like, as about as candid as you could possibly get. It was awesome. Simon is still putting out some pretty good stuff, by the way. Yes, I agree. He just put out an album this year, and I didn't, I don't think I listened to this one. But the one in 2016, Stranger to Stranger, is incredible. It's like some of his best work he's done in a long time. Oh man, what's that song that I love? Cool Papa Bell. Mm. It's just an awesome, never just like hangout, just picnic song. All right, it's dope, man. I love, I love both of those guys. 
they're really great. They don't like each other though. No, well the the way he was describing it is is essentially like like my interpretation where it's like they clearly butt heads a lot but they still kind of love each other. It's like a very buddy relationship. You okay. Know? It's very much like brothers, honestly. You know, cuz there are plenty of brotherly relationships where it's like you can't fucking stand the guy but you still love them anyway. And they're sort of stuck together. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because they are born into this same family kind yeah. of. Yeah. They, it feels like they kind of need each other. It's like like Ark Garfunkel's not quite as great without Paul Simon and Paul Simon's not quite as great without art. Yeah. He had this great little um, uh, anecdote where he, like everyone was speaking for Paul and like people like Jack Nicholson are there because they're all very good friends. Great Jack Nicholson story, by the way. Uh, but he, <laughs> like every Jack Nicholson story, yeah, has there ever been a bad Jack Nicholson story? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I would in hope. The history of man it would be bad if there was. Yeah, no. unless it's being told in a courtroom. I'm pretty sure there's no bad Jack Nicholson stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a great guy. Unless the storyteller is under oath. <laughs> It's like that and like Rip Torn. There's not a single bad Rip Torn story. Rip, Rip, by the way. <laughs> oh my God. Rip, Rip Torn. Yeah. Is he dead? He just died last week. Did he? Rip Torn just died. <laughs> oh shit. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh no. Rip Torn died a week ago. In prison? In prison? What do you mean? Yeah, he went to jail for <laughs> walking into a bank drunk. Rip Torn went to prison? <laughs> What are you talking about? This is like the single greatest Rip Torn story ever. He walked into a bank drunk thinking it was his house. It was closed. So they thought he was like robbing it. He died July 9th. What is that? Eight days ago? I had no... What the hell? You didn't know Rip Torn died? (laughs) No. Yeah, it was a big thing. Oh, Jesus. Let me look up Rip Torn Bank real quick. I did not know this. And strangely enough, did not pop up in any obituaries. Uh, Rip Torn in court for breaking into bank. Quote, he thought was his home. (laughs) <laughs> Arrested, charged with breaking into local bank with loaded gun. Oh my god! <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't think he was in prison. Okay. Yeah, I don't think he died in prison. Okay, good. I think he just got old. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh, poor Rip. Uh, boy, oh. Rip, Rip, man. Uh, rip, Rip. Okay. What was I saying? I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, he, yeah. It, oh, the Jack story. No, not the Jack story. I mean, the Jack story it revolves around his uh, his uh, experience on the film Carnal Knowledge by okay. Mike Nichols, and uh, yeah, just just being like floored by Jack's uh, acting ability and just like sitting there while Jack is just like freaking out, and he's just like, I I, I don't know how to respond to you. Yeah, <laughs> like that kind that level of quality. Right. But he was talking about how like like everyone's speaking for like this this uh it, it's like a dinner for paul and he like everyone's getting up there and giving you know very like saccharine speeches and whatnot and then he comes up and he's just like well how you doing paul just one question uh who's gonna sing at whose funeral <laughs> <laughs> yeah garfunkel's gonna be around for much longer yeah yeah this, yeah simon's going first yeah that's uh, sad yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Paul Simon. <laughs> in advance. Oh, God. Imagine if he died tomorrow. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I just put it out there. Our podcast would certainly become popular. So, our, our Garfunkel still doing shit. Yep. And very me- well, too. Yeah, that's great. And yeah. meanwhile, freaking uh, Hall and Oates will not go away. <laughs> mm. No. <laughs> still doing their same shit. No. <laughs> All right. Should we do it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're talking about a movie called Midsommar. Mm-hmm. You could pronounce it Midsummer, but 
if you that would be if you're a normal person that's true yeah if yeah. you're a if what, what's your your word a plebeian a p- if you're a plebeian you say midsummer yeah and if you're a sick sociopath yeah. you would pronounce it midsummer yeah yeah um i use the word sick sociopath not lightly i think sick sociopaths are more normal than ari aster um <laughs> Um, this is a movie that took us on a ride, and it wasn't a ride that I would recommend going on. <laughs> I cannot in good conscience recommend this movie to anyone, um, but we're going to talk about it nonetheless, and we will include spoilers. So let, let me put it this way. If you are planning on seeing Midsommar and you have a good stomach for these sorts of things, pause the podcast right now, go see the movie, and come back and we'll discuss it. Yeah. If you are not sure... If Midsommar is your thing, <laughs> let me assure you, it is not your thing. <laughs> so stick around, listen to the podcast, we'll describe everything that happens in explicit detail, mm. and if that don't scare you away from the movie theater, I don't know what will. I've had to explain what happens in this movie like on like to multiple people, and uh particularly to Abby, where she she after because we, we after the movie, we ended up uh, getting a call from her, and we just chatted her head off about yeah, this thing. Adam and I saw the movie together. Yes, and, uh, and we <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> we didn't part ways. We had to just sit in the parking lot and, and just un you know just unspool, try to vent it out. We got ice cream to try to make ourselves feel better. Didn't help. No, did not help. I had I like when I was driving home. I'm talking to Abby again, and she's asking me more questions about the movie. And at a certain point, I'm just like, uh, you know, you know, hun, I don't, I don't want to talk about this movie. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. <laughs> I'll be honest, though, man, this thing has not left my brain for three days. It's it's lived in my brain. It is like a li- it is a freaking. It's a pest. It's a it's a. It's a it's a cancer. It's it, yeah yeah mine too. It's like lice. It's, I keep shaking them out of my hair, and they keep coming back. No, this is never going away. This is going <laughs> to live in my head for the rest of my life. It's like lime. I just have to deal with this shit. Do you want to call out Jabril while we have an opportunity? Yes. Okay. Let's like stop everything. Jabril, friend of the podcast. Yeah. Uh. Well. Well. Maybe not a friend former of, friend of the former podcast. friend of the podcast. Yes. Yeah. We hate him now. Yeah. He's our least. He's our most hated, despised person ever. We're announcing our breakup. Yes. We, Please cease subscription <laughs> of all TMT related feats. We have put a hit out for Jabril. He is going to die. We're sending him to Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> this is what he gets We're sending him to these fucking people Yeah, Jabril, I guess, sent you a text being like Yo, Midsommar <laughs> Yeah Get down with some Midsommar shit He He saw it uh, I, 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 I want to say he hadn't seen Hereditary yet Oh, really? Yeah, but, but being very <laughs> Very intrigued by it Especially after seeing this and he's basically like, okay, if Nico responded that way to Hereditary, <laughs> you have to drag him to this thing. Uh, that being said, he didn't think about how I might feel <laughs> after walking out of the movie. Be honest. Which movie is more accessible <clears throat> to mainstream Hereditary. Audiences? Wow. I think you're right. By a mile. I think and you're that's right. saying something, by I the way. I think you're right. But I have full confidence in saying that Hereditary is more accessible by a full mile and a half. 
I walked out of Hereditary thinking, why did we just go on this journey? And it's a similar reaction that I had after Midsommar. And what's, I think, so infuriating about this movie <laughs> um, is that it's really well made. And it's really good. And it's a pro... It's, look, man. I, I don't normally get this way. I don't normally have, like, moral repulsions to certain, like, subject material. Um, but... I, I just thought to myself, after both Hereditary and this, why, Ari Aster, <laughs> why are you using your powers for evil and not good? Yeah. You know? Why not take this skill set and apply it to some material that is either a little more optimistic about humanity, um, a, a little more enjoyable, a little easier to get through? I mean, this is the definition of, like, the ugly painting in the museum that you appreciate, but that you can't hang in your living room. That's what this is. You want to keep this away from your family and friends. <laughs> what did we say? I said, that movie is a monster and it's living in that theater. That's right. You did say that. It's living in, in screen 11. <laughs> it's one of those movies. You're, that's exactly what you said. You're like, this movie should not be in a big movie theater chain. <laughs> It's like it's playing right next to Toy Story 4. <laughs> yes. It's playing right next to Rocket Man. What a funny image. Like especially like to those who have seen this movie, if I were to take a picture of that, they'd just be like, "Oh, Jesus." Was it actually in the theater next to it? Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think it was Toy it Story was, 4 yeah. and Midsommar. <laughs> the two doors. It's like if you enter the wrong door, if you make one mistake, you're going to see a monster. Keep yeah. your kids away from AMC theaters. And chances are you could probably still hear it next door. Hide your kids, <laughs> hide your wife, and hide your husband. This fucking movie. Uh, yeah. See, my feelings on it have evolved like like significantly over the past couple of days. Wow. Can't wait to hear this. But like, because uh, like you said, like I was thoroughly upset walking out of that movie. And unsettled beyond belief. I I describe this as maybe the most horrifying film I've ever seen. And you don't mean scary when you say no, that. You mean horrifying. I mean purely horrifying. Because this movie is not scary. No. I, yeah. No. It's not. You I don't mean, jump out of your seat. There there are, there's probably someone out there who would find it scary, but to, right. to us, no. Like this falls into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre camp where it's it's not exactly scary. Not not scary per se. It's just. Just relentlessly dreadful. dreadful and uncomfortable and just like like imagery that goes to, to in, honestly, I don't throw this in the torture porn category. Like, yep. and, and we were talking about this because torture porn to me is deliberately fun. Right. I, I, I think it's lame as hell. I have no like reaction to it. I just look at him like this is just cheap gore for the sake of gore. And this is not fun. Right. And it's sort of like, you know, you could. You could touch a hot stove mm. when it's turned up to 400 degrees and it would cause you to, to react and pull your hand, yeah. you know, quick, so you don't get burned. That to me is a scary movie. This is like you're in the pot on top of the stove and we're going to start it at like 50 degrees and we're going to slowly, ever so steadily mm. crank it up to 400. Yes. So it's going to be not a scary off kilter pain. But just a slow, brooding, inevitable pain. Yep. And Ari Aster and, has this unbelievable command of yep. the camera and and understands how to ratchet up the tension and the horror 
in such an unsettling way. And I think that's the reaction that both of us had walking out of the theater. It wasn't just, I can't believe I saw that shit. It wasn't shock and gore for the sake of shock and gore. It was like a out-of-body experience almost. Yeah. Like I'm laying in that theater and I, I it's it's kind of hazy. Things are getting hazy and blurry and I'm falling into the rhythm of the movie and it's just forcing me to bathe in my own misery and dread. Yeah. You know? And that to me, I'm sorry, man, it's the worst form of film. That to me is just the worst. It's it, There is no experience that I would rather have less than that. And, and this is the irritating, and you're going to hate me for this. I know I am. I'm ready. I, I fall into the camp of this. I, I, I hated my experience watching this movie. But that's the point. It's very clearly the point. I know. And I, I thought about it a lot, and I kept thinking about Ari Aster's command and his direction and how he knows exactly what he's doing. Yes. And it's it's kind of an amazing movie. It is. It really honestly it is. is. I agree with you. That's, <laughs> that's the, the thing. That's the frustrating... Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's what's so frustrating about it. Is it is a... It's, it's a damn near masterpiece. I don't think it's quite there. I don't think it's quite there, but... But it is a... Near perfect execution of what is a horrible pursuit. Yes. You know? I agree. It is the perfect way to br- to bury a dead body. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. there's, there is no reason to do this. In fact, doing this task is evil. But damn, you really disposed of that thing. Well, you chopped up those fingers, <laughs> melted it down in the oven. Like, whoa. <laughs> Dude, how are you so good at burying a dead body? I don't want to know that you're that good at... I don't want to watch someone bury a dead body, dispose of a body, but... Can can I just also say like like on the on the topic of dead bodies like sure. I don't know if I've ever seen dead bodies made out to be so uncomfortable looking oh, I had no. the, I had the same reaction towards a, a hereditary where it's like there's just something about the people who are dead in this movie yes. and just looking at their corpses and where like in, there's plenty of movies with dead corpses but in here it's just something about their look is just ugh. it just freaks me out and well it lingers on the parts that it's not supposed to linger on but and that's what's off putting it's like there's no reason why we should be staring at Charlie's head. Spoiler yes. alert for Hereditary mm-hmm. for like five to ten seconds. And that's what the movie does. And also it teases you with not seeing the dead body in Hereditary. It's yep. like, wait a minute. What just happened in this scene? What just <laughs> happened in this scene? Flash forward seven minutes and then you get a look at the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a sense of dread to it. And I felt the same way about Midsommar. Um and the scene that, of course, we're talking about is when those two old people jump off the cliff. The first and actually both deaths, um, yeah. there's this tension to it. Like, is she actually going to jump off? Is she actually going to jump off? Is she actually going to jump off? And then she does. And the aftermath is worse than you could have imagined. My reaction is funny, though, because I think it's because in the theater and you probably got a sense of this, like there's a weird... <sighs> through a lot of the shocking scenes there's a strange balance between humor and utter terror yep and the best way i can describe it is like this something happens and i'm like what the fuck is (laughs) (laughs) right that's the movie right right it's worse it's worse than you think it's gonna be yeah they present you with sort of a silly premise Mm -hmm. on the surface i guess it's like Closer to Wicker Man than it is to The Exorcist. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's silly and a little cartoonish on the surface, but then they just go all the way with it and they smack you right in the face with this idea 
that at first you dismissed mm-hmm. and then you're forced to deal with. Yep. So yes, the idea of jumping off the cliff, the idea of the bear costume and everything that they do with the bear and gutting the bear yeah. and sticking the guy in the bear in the bear's uh skin and didn't you didn't didn't you think that they were going to gut him as well? Like Right, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did. Uh but what they ended up doing with it was both kind of amusing but also so totally horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um and that happens a lot. And I think that is one of Ari Aster's gifts is um, is giving you the most horrifying version of whatever the idea is. Just going all the way with it and presenting it um, in what in the most dreadful, cynical, gross, disgusting, wallowing way. But, you know, I you mean, liked it. <laughs> Be honest, you like this movie. The, uh, Dude, you're going to champion this movie for 20 years. You're going to be talking about this movie forever. Don't lie. Well, yeah, I'll be talking about it. A- absolutely. It's certainly one of the better horror films I've seen in, you know, in a, you know, a couple of years, maybe. Yeah. I mean, like, like horror, like, and it's, I'm not just talking about, like, accessible. I'm just saying, like, pure horror. This is it. Right. <laughs> like, this is about as good as it gets. And for, for better or for worse. Um, I can't say it's a film that I really want to revisit anytime soon. No. But, like, for our, in Ari Aster's case, and I, I had to, like, look up some, some interviews with this dude. Yes. And one of the things he talked about repeatedly was that the film is meant to feel kind of cathartic. Yes, I saw that too. And the problem here is that it's only cathartic for certain people maybe most people and i think it's meant to be cathartic towards people who understand everything that danny is going through who's the lead character in the movie Mm. and i made a comment after we left the theater is that it's hard for both nico and i to find this movie cathartic because neither of us have been in a breakup yeah Uh, i want to talk about that in a second let's hold that thought okay and we'll get to the end and i want to talk about whether or not that ending works for both of us but yes let's hold that thought and we'll we'll come back to it um this movie opens with a 20 minute sequence before the title card starts we'll call it a cold open (laughs) literally it's i i I love that open by the way it's literally a cold open literally with just the snowy landscapes right it's like, I thought that was a great way to introduce the film that you're in for. Like, don't forget what this film is actually going to be like, because then it transitions into all the sunny shit. So this is quite a gambit, man. Mm-hmm. Ari takes quite a risk by opening up the movie with, I, I guess, a material that could make for its own standalone story. Almost, yeah. Right? Like, it's got a beginning, middle, and end, and there's a character arc, and there's a horrifying note that it ends on. That mirrored a lot of the same stuff he was dealing with in Hereditary, mm-hmm. and again was totally effective. But after that first twenty minutes, I remember turning to you and saying, "Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Why do you insist on keep bringing me to movies like this, where you're forced to bathe in dread and terror and grossness?" Because that's how he wants you to feel. And I guess he gets his job accomplished. Here's my question: So the main character, played by Florence Pugh, who plays Danny in this movie, she's the 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 main girl. We find out that her sister is bipolar. She no longer lives at home, but has uh, taken on this role of caretaker almost to her sister in the way that a lot of siblings do when they have mentally unstable uh, brothers or sisters. And she gets this eerie email in the middle of the night, and she calls her boyfriend Mm. to 
like make sure everything's okay and ask for a second opinion on this email situation and it's very ominous and we get like a tracking shot of the girl's parents at their home sleeping uh and then yeah it's really this awesomely acted scene florence does an incredible job oh god on the phone in close up there florence Pugh throughout this film is oh god just too good she's an excellent young actress she's really really good i had not seen her in anything before this the only other the most noteworthy thing she's in besides this is lady Macbeth, which i have not seen oh i guess i saw her in the commuter too but oh god (laughs) i don't remember her um so it sort of plays on this this horror of receiving a phone call in the middle of the night and not knowing what it's all about and you know getting an eerie email an eerie text message and then they won't return your calls and the sort of terror that comes along with our hyper connected lifestyle right and the fact that Everybody knows what everybody's doing at any given time. Mm-hmm. So the second that that pattern breaks, when you lose connection, it's like the world is ending. Yeah. And you assume the worst. Well, it turns out the worst does happen in this case. <laughs> and the bipolar sister commits a murder-suicide at uh, her home, kills both of her parents with the muffler of a car, and then takes her own life by hooking up that muffler to her own face. Um... God, why? <laughs> why? Uh, well, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's more effective than having her shoot the parents and then shooting herself, I guess. I don't mean that. I mean, why did we just spend 20 minutes watching a murder-suicide unfold? Oh. <laughs> well, isn't that the, the whole, like, like point of the breakdown of these two relationships? Like, isn't that kind of where it starts? Yeah, this is my point. Um, did we have to create the most unthinkable of situations in order to keep these two in a relationship together? Like we couldn't find a more plausible explanation. Again, th- th- this is where I go back to it being a movie. No, I know. It's like, the, like it just felt like overkill. I don't mind overkill if it's going for a point like this and it's trying to make you feel that that level of dread and despair and, and just like hopelessness where it's like you don't know what else to do because this feels like the single worst thing that could ever happen to you. Yes. Because if you if you just do a simple like, I, I don't know, the girl like like gives them like 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 too many sleeping pills and then she hangs herself. The audience doesn't respond to that with like, that's not what I mean. But but I'm just saying from a filmic perspective, you kind of have to do that to elicit that sort of response. That's and, not what I mean. I mean, the whole story, that first 20 minutes, which is essentially just a prologue, mm-hmm. is arguably the most horrifying thing that happens in the entire movie. Yeah. And it didn't really serve a purpose other than a plot device to get Florence Pugh and the boyfriend stuck in an unhealthy relationship together. Yeah. So uh, the character of Christian, played by Jack Rayner, um, feels an obligation to stick around just because the worst thing that can ever happen to this girl happens. Yeah. Um, I guess the risk that Ari Aster takes is you might lose your audience in the first 20 minutes, <laughs> you know, and that almost happened to me, but it didn't quite happen because it was so well made. I guess my only point is why so much? Like, wh- why, man? Well, why? Again, well, what, what do you mean? Again, it's it's about the feeling. It's <laughs> It was just so unpleasant. Exactly. It's, it was just so enough. It has to be unpleasant. It has to be the worst thing imagine. It has to be worse than the worst thing imaginable. That's the point. 
Otherwise, you don't you don't have a scene worth showing. <laughs> I mean, people get stuck in unhealthy relationships all the time, though. I know. And they don't get stuck because their whole family is massacred. No, but you know it's, what I mean? it's not telling that story, though. It's telling a story about just a completely un- unhealthy, poisonous relationship. This is why I will never respond to Ari Aster's material, though, <laughs> in the right way. It's just everything is ratcheted up to 11. Mm-hmm. Everything's taken up to this next level. Which I don't mind, of course, but... <sighs> it's so goddamn depressing. <laughs> yes. Like, but... It, and there are times too watching this, and this one really went went overboard with me. I mean, in, it's maybe a good way, I don't know, but like there are times when I was watching this, and I'm like, you know, I would rather watch a Lars von Trier film. Yeah, <laughs> I would rather watch Antichrist. <laughs> maybe. Well, I can sort of laugh at Antichrist. Yeah. From a distance, it's just so absurd. Yeah, exactly. This is so grounded in truth. It's so relatable. Right. It just is, and that's the real horrifying thing about it is that you just like. Oh, I get it. <laughs> right. And you shouldn't be saying that, but you you do. I mean, it is one of the, oh my God. And it's never happened with me, but like I've seen relationships where uh, like like the girl or the boy, whatever, they'll just be like, oh yeah, th- th- this, I, I like, you know the scene where she forgets his birthday or yes. he forgets her birthday yes. and she responds by saying, oh, it's not your fault. It's my fault. I should have reminded you. That is such a fucked up idea. Right. But it's so true. Yeah. And it's it's just oh god. It's it's like talk about like twisting a knife. Right. You know, just just to make this all the worse and all the more relatable by by dropping that bomb on me. I mean, to me, that was really horrifying to see a movie actually address an idea like that because it happens all the time. And I would also assume a character like this, who is the older sibling right she's the older child Mm -hmm. and this horrible thing happened i'm sure she blames herself for a lot of it so she's conditioned to take responsibility for things that are not her fault Mm -hmm. constantly yeah you know and it's it's well within her character to do that sort of shit yeah it just brings this character down but in such a believable way it's like i have seen that happen to people right and again it's a movie so it heightens it quite a bit but i still get it no, for sure. It does heighten it. It just heightens it to a level where I just, there's nothing enjoyable about any of this, man. But it's also, don't forget, it's also a horror movie. It's just a <laughs> slog. But you can have fun with horror movies, You can man. also not have fun with horror no, movies. Well, clearly. <laughs> we know this. There's, yeah. lo- there's many different ways to, to show off your horror movie. Message received, man. Message received. <laughs> Jeez, it makes me want to go watch Halloween. It's... Uh, uh, is this not the most frustrating thing to talk about so it's so frustrating because (laughs) yeah there's always going to be this disconnect between wow such a brilliant artistic endeavor Mm -hmm. and wow what a total fucking waste of time (laughs) what a net that was a net bad thing for the world Mm -hmm. this movie is a bad thing to subject people to you know, like but that, you, again, that's the point. I mean, I feel like Ari Aster's trying to say, "Yeah, guys, try a little harder." For what? <laughs> try a little <laughs> harder to do what? <laughs> to, to to not let things go this bad with with someone you care about. I guess it's I guess a cautionary it, tale. I suppose. I don't know, man. <laughs> but I, like, I just keep calling. It's like I, that's the point, though. Like to me, it all seems appropriate. <laughs> I don't see someone making this movie unless they want the world to suffer a little bit or at least feel the pain that they feel i don't know like the ins and outs of ari aster's soul i wouldn't try to 
make a character judgment on a person based on a movie that they've made. I mean, I've listened to interviews with the guy. The guy actually seems fairly normal when you talk to him. Mm-hmm. I just think he's kind of a sad person. Yeah. I just think he's sort of a sad, a bit depraved, into the horrific, and he wants the world to live in that same space. <laughs> and I just have a problem with that. Yes. I have a problem with that because that's not why I go to movies. Like, I don't want a movie to be totally mindless entertainment. I want to be challenged. I want to be pushed. I want to be provoked. But it's entertainment. Like, we're making we're making popular entertainment, mm-hmm. you know? But in, it's it's weird. Though. I mean, again, it's hard. It's a subjective thing, though. I could see people You're coming right. out of this and honestly being like, yeah, no, everything that that movie was saying, I completely relate to. I find it very satisfying and cathartic. I mean, it's just movies like this had that response on certain people. You don't like It Comes at Night, but I find that movie immensely satisfying with the ending because I get it. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, y- yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. That's exactly how they should have gone. But I could see people watching th- that movie and just being like, fuck this thing, because it doesn't make any sense to them. That's right. not that's not how their worldview aligns. And I try my best to be um, objective about these things. Like, I, I never knock a movie, or I very rarely knock a movie for having a bad point of view. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think like, that's the point of the audience. I think we're supposed to not judge the actual content of the message, but judge how the message is delivered. So as long as, like... You know, you're working towards a goal. We'll give you a score based on if or if not you communicated that goal. Yes. Um, so it's tough because I think we found something that I actually can get mad at at the ideology behind it. Mm-hmm. I am actually a little mad. I'm mad that the guy decided to do this to me, and I'm mad. And it felt like a betrayal. It's <laughs> like when I go to a movie theater, there's a certain expectation. There's a certain, whether it's a financial expectation or an artistic expectation, we're supposed to have the same interest. Sure. Like, you can challenge me, but I'm going to be entertained. (laughs) You know? I'm going to feel, I think, something positive. I'm trying to take away something positive. And there's nothing positive about this. Sure. This feels like torture. Uh, Yeah. No. It feels like torture. And And I, I feel a little betrayed by that. I said it felt like I was being punished. Right. That's yeah. What, yeah. 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 That's what this movie felt like. And um, again, to me, it comes down to just like, and I say this all the time on the podcast, it's just satisfaction. It's not necessarily f- pure entertainment because I can watch a completely depressing, awful movie in that way and come out of it and be really, really satisfied with what I got. Yeah. That's more my point. But this movie didn't exactly do either. It just left me in a state of like brokenness. Yes. I felt weak. I, and I'm not kidding, guys. Like I felt physically weak walking out of this. Well, the movie. movie also does that to you because of the pacing, the pacing and some of the imagery too. Yeah, it's a very trippy. Movie. It's very trippy. I mean, and it's similar to what these characters are going through because they're often on drugs. Mm-hmm. I think most of the movie they're in a bit of a haze because they're drinking oh, weird yeah. herbal shit. Oh yeah, but again, to Jesus, great, interesting, and and actually pretty spot on representation of what that stuff actually kind of feels like. Yeah. Um. But the thing, the the other like just just like like debilitating thing about this movie is just the way the characters interact with one another. And we talk about how frustrating it is just to talk about this movie. It's just as frustrating to watch these characters be who they are with yes. each other and just wanting them to just like guys, just try a little harder to talk to each other more. Stop looking away, you know, like direct communication. Figure out these problems, and they never ever quite get there. Well, they're pretty horrible people. Oh yeah, you know. And normally it's cathartic when you watch horrible people suffer you didn't really feel that way with this because you're also 
both an outside observer and in their point of view. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of tough to decide who you're rooting for, who you're not rooting for, and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. There is a there is a disconnect, and it's a very millennial thing, actually. Yeah. These guys, the the one plot device that Ari relies on heavily is this thesis paper. Yeah. That a bunch of these students are working on. Um, I think like two or three of those guys are, or maybe it's just um, Josh and Christian. Yeah. Who are competing with who can write the better <laughs> thesis for their graduate studies um and so they're so obsessed with their work and they're so into themselves and what they're doing and their output to the world that they have a hard time paying attention to anybody else around them but also like yeah josh spends a lot of time on his phone he's always googling shit he's always taking pictures of things and they don't ever quite make eye contact it's always like they're looking at the wrong thing yes and emphasize strongly in at the beginning with the Ari Aster's. Oh, I keep saying his full name, but uh, Ari. Well, Ari's use of mirrors. Yes, I picked up on immediately. I'm like, oh, great! And it just, it just, it just further illustrated the the fact that this guy like just gets the craft. Yeah, he's very smart. He 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 understands ex- exactly how film language works, which makes it e- even more frustrating when you have to watch it and you're just like, this is horrible. Yeah, but it's so good right it just is and again like it emphasized again like like with how you how you direct your actors into what we were just talking about uh like, like there's a scene where uh christian is finally you know he's taking on the, the same thesis as josh and they're talking to this guy and he's kind of interviewing uh he's um, he's interviewing him and uh danny's right there next to him and he's just kind of focused on 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 the guy and she's just she's asking like a very innocuous question about something and his response is like oh yeah cool Right. Okay. So, what were you saying? <laughs> it's just like, like just so many moments like that. I it don't is think. True. Did, I don't think they ever kiss. Oh wow, that's a great question. I don't think they ever kiss. Man, I don't remember them kissing. Yeah, I think you're right. I remember the engaged couple kissing. Yeah, you're right. I don't think they ever do kiss. They very rarely show any physical affection. I think he maybe kisses her on the forehead, but like, right, like you would kiss a baby. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, good on you, babe. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they never actually have any intimate moments with each other. No. And a lot of the horror, you're right, is found in the real social interactions. Yes. Um, I did feel like, and I said this to you after leaving the theater, this is the prototypical second movie. (laughs) Yeah. In that there's a lot of filler, and he spends a lot of time. Evidently, the first cut of this movie was three hours, 45 minutes. He said it was almost four hours. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Like, how? <laughs> how did you have four hours of... Mat- because he says, I guess, that he likes to stretch the scenes and hold on moments. And sometimes, like, a quarter of a page would take up five minutes of screen time. Yes. I, now, see, I love that stuff. And I like it quite a bit here, too. <laughs> like, it's one of my favorite things about this movie is when it all just holds on a shot and it just builds to this incrementally, like, uh, like uncomfortable moment that you just get... Uh, just so sick of right but in the obviously the most appropriate way but if i had to nitpick there was a lot of meat on the bone and maybe you could have trimmed out a bit of that fat yeah there's uh, i can't say specifically what scene maybe needed to be cut down a lot but there yeah it is it's a slow movie sure deliberately slow but i mean every every once in a while i'm like maybe it could go a little faster but that's what happens when a director gets a lot of acclaim and sometimes makes money at the box office with his first movie. Hereditary was not only a critical darling, it was also good at the box office. Yeah. I think it actually made money, 
which is very rare for a movie like that. I know. They don't know. A24 is not known for making big blockbusters by any stretch, and Hereditary made money back. Uh, you just get all the power. They just give you more power, and you feel like, all right, I made my first movie. I tried so hard to sell this to the studio to get people to see it. He had probably been pitching Hereditary for five to six years before it was finally made. Mm-hmm. And now he feels like, oh, I've made it. I can do what I want. I better use this power while I can yep. before I am a has-been, before I'm no longer the young directorial darling. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot more Final Cut power. You know, you, you have more of a say in the edit bay. You get a bigger budget. Actors will listen to you. Um, you can leave the script as is. You're not going to get a lot of script notes back from the from the studio. And look, us I thought was a similar example of this. That's a classic second movie. Mm-hmm. First one is concise, not a lot of meat on the bone, straight to the point. It's a gut punch. Us is Jordan Peele getting a little more experimental and trippy. Um, and so look, I was expecting something like this. I wouldn't call it a sophomore slump, but if I, again, were to have one nitpick, it's that some scenes hang on a little too sure, long. Sure. The other nitpick we, I guess we could talk about is your suspension of disbelief. Yeah, talk about this. Um, I mean, I, I sort of went back and forth on it, and even, even if you accept the fact that they're, they're maybe a little intoxicated mm-hmm. through a lot of the film, maybe if, if you accept the fact that, you know, they're, they're just very open to cultural differences in quotes uh and you take into account you know i've seen liberal college students do crazier things maybe (laughs) (laughs) than this close (laughs) no not than this pretty close okay (laughs) you still have to suspend your disbelief quite a bit on why the hell they didn't like at least do a scene where they tried to leave like all of them right because it's very it's obvious that they weren't getting out of there no matter what sure but uh, it would have, I guess, maybe it would have been nice had the characters made a greater attempt to leave, aside from the British couple, right? Because that's all we got. I guess the other argument you can make is that they trusted Pele. Yeah, that's true. And they had a relationship with him. I, and it's it's also true, like like what those it's fun, what those uh, old people actually did is a something that would actually happen in pagan culture. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's a true thing. And so so like when that when the the Josh character hears what they're gonna do, he's just like, oh. Okay. Oh boy. Oh, he knew what was happening. Yeah, exactly. Oh, which is why he didn't react that much. No. Right. Yeah, because he he barely flinched. And afterwards, remember, um, Danny came up to him and he's like, or she's like, "You okay?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm fine." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." Oh, <laughs> Back to my notes. Didn't want to be there. And then Will Poulter's just not there. <laughs> Will Poulter, by the way. You know, MVP of this movie. Jesus, he's great. Isn't Will he? Poulter is the perfect <laughs> douchebag, college douchebag character. I'm going to lay down. Josh, please lay down too. <laughs> what a great that guy. He was so funny. Will Poulter. Oh my God. He's great. He's really good in Detroit. You see, I haven't seen Detroit yet. Really good. Fucking asshole in that movie. Yeah. Oh God. Um. He. What else was he in? He was in Black Mirror. Oh, right. Yes, he was great in that episode of Black Mirror. Really weird accent. Maze Runner. Uh, yeah, the Revenant. Yeah, he's he's a really good that guy. Yes, I agree. Good yeah. character actor. Yeah. So yeah, they have this idea of the thesis paper, and that's supposed to 
be the suspension of disbelief. And it's and it's like uh like I'm I'm very on the fence about it. I'm like maybe. It's certainly a different excuse. It and I would say it borders on clever. I think you need to give a little more justification. Yes. I, I, you you're right. You need to at least attempt to break out. Exactly. I need like one scene. That's right. it. Just one scene and you would have had me, but it's right. a, it's 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 a little out there. I don't buy that these guys are this obsessed with their graduate thesis. That's the other thing. I just don't. Like, not that you would sit through two people killing themselves and yeah. constantly drugging you. At some point, you have to raise an eyebrow. Like, yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> Something's not right here. <laughs> Something's not right here. Yeah. Just a little. You know, but the other thing is, and I realized this by the end of the movie, too, Danny never wanted to leave. So you have to keep that in mind. True. As skeptical as she was, she was still kind of into it. True. And a lot of these characters are kind of into it. There's a perverse attraction. Which is true. Yeah. You know? And I, I can't say I ever got there um, from an audience point of view. Like, I don't think there was ever a point where I'm like, oh, maybe these people are onto something. But I think from a certain lens, you can understand their, their justification. Mm-hmm. You know? You can understand why suicide at a certain age might be an okay idea (laughs) i guess you know what so and maybe you could squint hard enough and convince yourself that it is actually a cultural difference and not just sociopathic behavior yeah um by the end of it you can't justify it anymore no but all right i i've i've cooled off a little bit on the nitpicking let me just put it that way okay you know i've sort of forgiven the script because it does put the thought into it. It's not just totally no. lazy about the suspension no. of disbelief. Oh, no. No, 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 no. And th- that's the thing. It's just maybe because it's just so outrageous to me. <laughs> I, I don't know how I would actually react in a situation like I'd that. I'd be like, no, get the fuck out. No question I wouldn't about be, that. No, I wouldn't want to be there anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, like like how specifically like when I would decide to go like because I wrote the, the English couple is like, well, wait a night. And I'm like, uh, no. Yeah, I'd probably get out of there. I'm sprinting the fuck out of there. Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah, no way. I agree. Um, what specific scenes would you like to discuss? We've already well. You just want to go step by step with the with the suicides at the at the cliff, and how <laughs> fun that was. That was like moment number three when I turned to you and I said, "Why are you doing this to me?" Yeah, I actually had to take a walk after that scene. I know. I got. I didn't really have to pee. I went to go pee, but. I just really had to get out and clear my head because mm-hmm. it was brutal. Yeah. The sense of dread when the woman walks up to the cliff and starts looking at Danny, making eye contact, and the back and forth of, is she actually going to do it? Is she actually not going to do it? You kind of know what's going to happen. You kind of know, but they tease you and they lead you to believe that it's not. Mm-hmm. And then the hammer. Oh, the hammer. The guy doesn't die, breaks his leg, and then they smash his skull. The, and then they do it again. Ah! <laughs> they keep doing it. Can we do it twice? <laughs> Is twice enough? Can I get a third time? What? <laughs> that was bad, man. Mm. That was bad. I couldn't. But I couldn't. I, but I was in it. Like I was like, okay, this is good. Like it's, that was horrible, but this is good stuff. And uh, I was hoping that the movie would keep me there. Yeah, B- but it doesn't. <laughs> it really. That was does. the sweet spot for you. <laughs> yes, you had. If it just kept you in that pocket, you would have been totally fine. Yes. And then they decide to have an orgy, and it's. You know. <laughs> it's all downhill from there. 
is what what's in between i mean there's some fucked up stuff in between that and a lot a lot of it is just atmospheric well will poulter you, you get a look at his chub and his mm. demented body getting skinned yes that's right well yeah he was skinned and then they reapplied the skin is that what happened they reapplied the skin to a, like a different it was a different person wearing his skin i think that's what i that was my impression oh oh no Oh no, Will Poulter. Mm-mm. Full Will Poulter. That that was so disturbing. <laughs> oh, this movie is brutal. But but like like most of the movie after that is just is is a lot of like like shining tension building. Mm-hmm. Where just like little weird things are piling up and happening, and you don't you you, you eventually understand what's happening, but it's not like exactly out in the open. And they build on scenes in a way that is just like just. It like like it's just a, a constant progression of just just unease in just in little things whether it's the 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 strange uh, like warping of the camera in scenes or just the stress that the characters are feeling like when Danny's starting to suspect that Christian is going to cheat on on her mm-hmm. and how that just consistently builds and builds and builds and builds to the ultimate explosion that is the orgy scene and you do get some glimpses too of just weird behavior like I think at one point. Uh, a woman puts a pair of scissors under a baby's pillow, you know, and then you have that love story sequence. Mm. Remember that where they had the paintings out in the field oh, and they're God. like, what is this? And you're looking at it. You're like, and he's like, it's a love story. And it's just images of like a, of a girl on her period, basically like, like, like trimming her pubic hair. And yeah. The, and then the meat pies. Oh, the meat pies. Uh, Jesus. And I will say this is another level that I respected the movie on because the production design here is like next level. Everything's next level. Production the, design, sound design, cinematography. Oh, my God. But there is so much detail paid to the margins. Yes. Like there is a lot of, um, a lot of specific artwork. The languages that were used Which on those rocks or whatever evidently are real languages very interesting too because it's a language based off of emotion i was like that's interesting huh and it's very fitting with with a spe- it's like an old school emoji it makes <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> it's the pagan's version of the emojis i'm never gonna use emojis ever again yeah but, but like it it's it's just like i don't know if that's a real thing but it's so disturbing i when, think a lot of it was like when they actually start doing it like, yeah. like responding to people based on emotions, like mimicking cries. Yeah, that is one of I've I've I I have no idea how you land on that idea. That is so absolutely fucked up in so every way. My understanding is that Ari actually went to Sweden and started. Now, again, the details on this are fuzzy, but I think like six to seven years ago, he started writing the script because he was really interested in pagan rituals, and so he wanted to blend horror. With some like norm normal quote unquote traditions, and some liberties were taken and details were fudged, but for the most part, the languages on those rocks, for example, a real thing. Um, the, as you just said, the suicide jumping off the cliff is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the the clothing, the the structures, the traditions of their sexual stuff. Apparently, a lot of that stuff is real, and he ratcheted that stuff up to eleven. But for the most part. It's based on something. Then he started going through a breakup. And that's when the emotional thrust of the movie started getting uh, woven into the history of it. So what's kind of interesting is it doubles as 
um, like a kids go into the middle of the woods and get murdered horror movie mm-hmm. and also an interesting document of history. Yeah. And I was also sort of interested in with that uh, in Hereditary because Hereditary on two fronts, I guess mostly in the last 15 minutes, is your traditional family horror story, but also a deconstruction of like certain mythos. Yeah. And stories from the Bible and demonic shit and mm-hmm. witchcraft. Um, the guy is like really interested in in those small nuances and details, and it's worth, I guess, patting him on the back for. Oh, he gets it. He's Although still- I'm not interested by any of it. <laughs> Here's the problem, though, dude. Like, I'm gonna see his next film, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I just am. <laughs> I guess I'm gonna have to too. And that's the th- oh god. It's like yeah, he put me through the ringer on this one, but like I. I hate to say it, I kind of want more. <laughs> in, a, in a way. Maybe not specifically this, but I definitely want to see what he's going to do next. What's the most disturbing part of this movie for you? Oh, boy. Mm. Dude, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know. I mean, there's... I find people crying hysterically to be endlessly disturbing really and and especially the way florence Pugh does it in this it's not like hysterical like screaming off the top top of your lungs she does like a very realistic thing where she 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 kind of does this and and then they started mimicking the i hated uh, that oh god and the the other thing that makes that scene so disturbing is that it, it almost feels like it's 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 like when someone tries to console you which is what they're obviously doing but they're not they're they're like taking away your chance to just let it out yes which is like oh it just freaked me out the fact that they were almost like weren't letting her have her moment like and that happens a lot when people try to console someone else it's like sometimes all that person wants is just to be left alone yes. and to just vent it all out and, and let them be them but instead we have to come in and be like are you okay do you need help do you, you, do you need me to hold you do you need me to like patch your hair whatever and the person's like no fuck off <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that they, they simply would not let her do that is just Oh, God. Could you imagine what Nick would have thought of this movie? (laughs) We should make him see it. Should we make him see it? uh, Can we figure out a way to make him see it? Maybe we do a why is this thing. (laughs) Just to get him to do this. Oh, man. I I need to see his reaction. See, I'm so angry at Ari Aster that now I want to channel this (laughs) at other people in my life. Dude. Like, if I have to suffer through this, you... Better believe you're going to suffer with me. <laughs> By the way, we saw the movie on his birthday. On whose birthday? Ari Aster's birthday. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank you, Jabril, for that little nugget. I do not wish that man a happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> do not wish that guy well at all. Anyway, d- disturbing. See, besides, th- that could be the most disturbing element of the film for me. But like, like. Just on a purely disturbing level. Um, hmm. I mean, when the orgy's happening and the, the guy's, you know, doing his thing and then a woman comes up behind him and starts pressing his ass <laughs> in, into the girl. Some dark comedy there, though. I, 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 uh, Some dark comedy. There's a lot of dark comedy in this movie, and that's one of those instances, no question about it. All over the place in that. That's another instance where you go from, like, it's really funny to just, like, ooh, just completely unsettling. I will say it's a funnier movie than Hereditary. Yes. 
but like like if you look at the the ratio here and how it ups the horror factor it almost doesn't matter it almost cancels the, the comedy out right by the end of it i've totally forgot that there's even funny scenes in this movie i mean like when they walk by the bear and they're like are we gonna address the bear and, the, and like that was hilarious and the kid goes it's a bear yeah <laughs> what? it's like well, uh, okay yeah sure whatever right the, but i also think the scene with christian in the bear suit burning alive and you just hear his moans oh, as he can't move jesus yeah that part is tough i mean obviously the suicide is pretty damn bad yeah the orgy just the whole idea of the orgy so if you haven't seen the movie christian the boyfriend of danny is approved by the elders to mate with this young girl in this village so uh they don't just like do that in the privacy of their own homes they don't do that behind closed doors they like enter this shrine and the girl is laying on the ground legs spread ready to go and she's surrounded by 10 nude women of different size shape and age and they encourage they're like the cheerleaders for these two kids as they're getting it on uh and they get very involved with the the sex they get very involved at one point one of the older women begins like petting christian's head and then mimicking the girl's moans right yeah that i didn't need man i think that was the worst part for me that's definitely the worst part for me there's something so invasive and gross and evil about that exactly yeah that's a perfect way to describe though it's just invasive this whole movie is invasive we need to have our hands on you and we're not going to let you go like that's what the movie feels like right oh it's just like there's you know any movie where it's just like you feel no sense of escape at all it's just like it is some of the most uncomfortable shit. Like it's just, it's just so fucking frustrating. <laughs> it's really bad, especially because these guys won't leave, and it's like, why are you not even trying? Yeah, yeah. It's just, and also too, there's that weird thing. Pele invited them to this getaway, and I don't know. I always feel great. Same thing happened during Rosemary's baby. Mm-hmm. The thing that scared me, or I guess disturbed me most about Rosemary's baby is not that all this evil shit was happening to Rosemary, but that her husband was in on it. Yeah, you exactly. Know, the the, the yeah. betrayal there, the fact that someone that they trusted betrayed them makes it that much harder to swallow. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, that's the other like re- relatable human part. Yeah. It's like you assume that everyone in your life has your back. You assume that their allegiances are to you and you alone. And then you sometimes find out, no, they have family. They have closer friends. Mm-hmm. And they're not always telling you the truth. There may be an ulterior motive there. No. You know, and there's something very unsettling about that. It's, yeah. You know, and that's what unsettled me more is he was he was reassuring them. Eh, don't worry. Everything's going to be OK. It's just a cultural difference. Oh, let me show you where you're going to sleep. You hungry? I'll get, you know. And then, uh, ugh, this whole movie. This happens. Pagan sacrifice happens. This whole movie is betrayal, though, in that way, though, isn't it? Right. To to the the way they're treated in the end, to the cheating, to just the way Ari Aster treats us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just rough, man. And I agree. Like like when when you feel safe with your friends, and then it just com- go. It's a complete one eighty. You know, there's just nothing more like like devastating than that. Mm-hmm. And that's a great yeah. That's also the thing about this movie is just how utterly devastating it is. Oh boy. Um. So that all happens. Mm. You get a look at Jack Rayner's cock, dick. Yeah. his bloody dick. <laughs> little Jack Rayner. Um. <laughs> little Rayner. It's a bit bloody. 
I did not like that detail. I did not like that the makeup department spent that much time reddening up Jack Rayner's penis. I wonder if it was CGI. I don't think it was. Could have been. He's just running around totally nude. And that also just felt very invasive. And there was such a lack of privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get to this ceremony where all the women in the village start dancing. They do like this weird yeah. square dance with each other. They were they like going around in a circle uh, across a like a, like a totem pole almost that is so out of the Wicker Man it's not even funny. Yeah, it so is, this is heavily inspired by the original Wicker Man, right? Yeah, is yeah. there a bear costume in the original? No. Okay. No, that that is only in the remake. But that's an explicit homage to the remake, right? I would think so. Gotta be. Although that being said, I I think that's also another pagan tradition. Oh really? I heard. Yeah. Okay. So, so. maybe not. Um. Yeah, they're doing this like square dance and every time a, a girl falls over she's eliminated from the game essentially mm-hmm. and obviously you know where this is going Danny wins this contest and she becomes the queen of this village flower queen something like that yes and uh, she's very happy about it until she finds out that her boyfriend just cheated on her mm-hmm. with one of the village girls and then they get to this very dramatic scene where she um, gets to choose who gets sacrificed to the pagan gods. There are already eight sacrifices. Um, the two people that just killed themselves, the older people, um, the two dudes, uh, Josh and Mark, yep. played by uh, played by Will Poulter and the dude from the Good Place. Mm-hmm. Um, they they had been killed by the villagers early on in the movie, so they're going to be sacrificed. And two of the villagers also volunteered. And now there's one left. And who could it be? Danny gets the choice. Random dude from the village or your boyfriend that just fucked one of the town's girls. <laughs> and she chooses Christian to die. Yes. And this is sort of where the whole movie comes full circle. And this is where Ari Aster implies that the catharsis is supposed to come. Mm-hmm. It's a breakup movie. And the nail is put in the coffin she makes the decision you know what i do kind of feel at home here or if anything this is a convenient means to an end and so she lets her boyfriend die and she ends the movie with a bit of a smirk yes how did this work for you on a thematic level um i'm i mean the 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 issue here i mean you know I don't know, I was sort of conflicted with it, obviously, as I imagine you probably were. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I felt bad for Christian, and I'm not sure if that was the point. Well, hmm. is this a movie with heroes and villains? I guess that's the question. Are the lines supposed to be drawn in the sand explicitly? I don't think so. Or is this a movie without judgment? Now, obviously, I feel like he comes down pretty hard on this cult. I don't think like he's ever, he never sympathizes with the cult members. They're doing evil shit. Mm-hmm. But in terms of our main characters, yeah, we're supposed to believe that Christian's a douche. Yeah. But when horrifying things happen to characters, I don't think you're supposed to be rooting for those things to happen. No. You know, I don't think like we're ever supposed to feel like they got their comeuppance or they got what they deserved. And I certainly didn't think that Christian got what he did deserved no and that was the problem i mean obviously he's not a great dude at all he's actually kind of a shithead yeah 
And, but, but I mean, that being said, I didn't think he deserved to get burned alive. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the, that's the, where the extreme part sort of loses me. Where it's like, if, the, if she had just killed him, it's like, okay, fine, maybe. Uh, but when, when, you, when you push it that far, then I sort of turn against Danny in the last minute. And I'm like, huh. Because I, I was very sympathetic towards her throughout the entire thing. Yeah. And then she's like very happy with what she did, and she's finally she has, she has some form of release. And I mean, maybe the movie's saying that you know what you have to do in order to get over a relationship is sort of like that in and of itself is a horrifying idea. Yeah. And if that's the case, okay, maybe it worked. And it also feels monumental too. That's I would true. Assume. And I get that where it's like, okay, yeah, like when when this finally does happen, it does feel like the worst thing possible. Yeah, the, the scariest, most horrifying thing. Whereas to other people, it might not seem that way, but to you, it is this big thing that's like larger than life and in, in the worst possible way. And uh, yeah, I'm sure. Look, I understand thematically what he's trying to say here. Me too. I'm not sure it's entirely born out of the character. I think that's maybe the larger issue. Let me ask you a question. Did it feel like the natural progression of the story? Did you feel like this is always the way that this was supposed to go? It was a, is that, yeah, I kind of did feel that way. Okay. Well, then maybe yeah. it's a win. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, clearly they're going to... This may, may be the one detriment to the film is that it's not that surprising in that way. Well, nothing about this movie is surprising. But that's the that's what makes it even more horrifying. Yeah. There's a sense of inevitability to everything. Like, I knew someone's getting burned alive. Right. I just knew it was going to happen. You knew there but... was going to be a pagan sacrifice. You know that the suicide is going to come. Mm-hmm. You know when the dude pulls out the hammer, what's about to happen to the old man's skull. Yep. You know that they're going to kill off these people. You know they're not going to let the British guys off the site. No. You know all of this. But in the same way... You know when a breakup's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know when a relationship isn't going well. Nothing yeah. really catches you off guard. You're still horrified by it. You still wish that you weren't experiencing what you're experiencing. Sure. But that's life sometimes. There's an inevitability. Sometimes you just have to take the horse behind the barn and shoot it. Yeah. You know? And so it's the interesting contradiction of this movie. It is both shocking and revolting, but also totally inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's yep. both horrifying and scary quote unquote but also kind of funny and atmospheric um the movie it's it's a balancing act that this movie attempts um and i guess if i if i have to come down on one side or the other i respect what ari aster is saying on a thematic level and i understand that's the decision that he had to make in order to tell the story he wanted to tell i know i just don't know if i would tell it the same way or if i would have my characters do those things i don't know if i could i don't know if i could could actually come up with that anyway sure so yeah i, I i'm kind of in the exact same boat too where it's yeah. like I, I i get pretty much everything he's saying i admire it and in, in, in a, a, a pocket or another i relate to it a little bit uh but yeah it, it's hard to imagine like anyone getting this you know depraved it's hard hard for me to imagine like making anything this depraved and i like sick shit but i don't know if i like getting this sick (laughs) okay anything else i don't recommend it no (laughs) unless you're like an avid cinephile right and you and you understand going in that the critics have no idea what like here's here's the other thing critics have not been they've been selling this movie far too short yeah far too fucking short yeah to the point where i'm like guys you are not addressing just how 
like fucking crazy this movie, this movie actually is, is bad man yeah yeah like it is a rough time and you are not illustrating that at all it's almost as if you've been told off sure i'm not kidding like yes guys this movie is rough and it's a hard watch and it is fucked up mm-hmm. and it is intended to get a rise out of you by the way yes and so go into it knowing that the movie's trying to get a rise out of you mm-hmm you know, it's trying to upset you. It's trying to unsettle you. And it certainly accomplishes that task. Look, I I can envision the person that would be into a movie like this. Mm-hmm. I understand, uh, you know, even why you, someone like you would respect it. I respect the shit out of this movie. Um, I'll, I'll just never get there. It's the least Nico movie ever made <laughs> by a mile. Yep. Uh, but look, if you like getting freaked out, if you like getting shocked, if yeah. you... Enjoy, again, bathing in a vat of misery. Sure, I found the movie for you. (laughs) It's one of those movies where I think you could only appreciate at a very specific point in your life. You think? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. What age do you have to be? I mean, I think you have to be closer to our age, honestly. You gotta be young. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, there is a youthfulness to this movie. It's weird. I, I saw a funny review for it. It's like, this is the most bright, colorful cheerful film ever made and it's still the most horrifying thing ever made well that's the other thing that Ari said is that he tried to shoot it like a fairy tale because he sees a lot of it as a fairy tale yeah in a a lot of ways it is and this is a horror movie that is shot by virtue of the story entirely during the day except for that first 20 minutes yep pretty much it's very brightly lit there's a lot of challenges that that presents um, on a cinematic level I, I listened to one interview where he was saying that they were just chasing continuity all day because shadows would appear where they weren't supposed to and you you had to uh, wait for the sun to get in a very specific location. I think they shot it in Hungary, as a matter of fact. They wanted to shoot it in Sweden, but they yeah. couldn't get the budget to do so. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, it's a it's a technical feat for sure. And I respect it on all of those levels. Um, Me too. But no, don't see this movie. What are you, high? Yes. Like your average viewer? No. Stop. I can definitively say it is not for you. Yeah. Um, all right. There you go, Midsummer. We did it. We're done. Okay. That, we've cast out that demon. <laughs> Our hands are clean. So, next week, back to the Movie Hall of Fame format? Yep. We're going to do one. And then after that, we're doing another review. We're going back to L.A. Yeah. To Quentin Tarantino's L.A. That's true. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I will be seeing it opening night. Yes. So I'll, I might be seeing it either that weekend or the, the, the next day. Yeah, you'll you'll be there early, I'm sure. Yes. So we're going to break down Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I'm sure we'll have a spirited conversation about Quentin Tarantino, because every time we talk about Tarantino, it becomes a spirited conversation. We've never had a podcast devoted to Tarantino is the thing. You know, I was actually thinking, could we do a Tarantino movie Hall of Fame? But the problem is we just talk about all his other movies yeah. in every other context. I know. I did think about it, but I don't I don't think we could pull it off. Probably not. Yeah, maybe we'll do like a Tarantino ranking or something. I could do that. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Um, All right. So next week, 1967. That's correct. Six movies will be nominated. One will get in. And I guess we'll draft that right now. I'll start with The Graduate. Oh. Oh, okay. So there's the iPad, my (laughs) friend. Uh, And then I'm going to go Cool Hand Luke. Okay. And I will take Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, you got more over there. Hmm. Okay. 
I'm looking at this now. You didn't tell me about the producers. Oh my god, the producers came out that year. The producers is my next pick. Really? Is am I reading that right? I think you're right. The producers came out in '67. Yeah. Oh really? Is that what you're gonna do? Sure. All right. Well, okay. So there are two movies that I have not seen, but I need to include them. Okay. I think just for posterity's sake. <laughs> okay. I, I'll I'll nominate in the heat of the night because that won best picture that year and I have to watch it and I guess uh, you you do what you want mm. well uh, yeah let's do the dirty dozen so we're not going to do guess who's coming to dinner because that's like a historic movie right is it oh yeah guess who's coming to dinner is a big movie man uh. Yeah, that's a that's a. I mean, if we want to put on a movie like like because I haven't seen that one, so I guess maybe. I mean, my impression is that Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is a very important movie. All right, Catherine Hepburn's in it, right? Oh, is she? Yeah. Okay. I mean the other the other ones I'm looking at are Jungle Book, which uh, whatever. Nah. I mean, great movie, but Point Blank, mm. Lee Marvin. I don't know. We could go with that though. This dinner movie. Uh, I mean, okay. I want to. I want to do in the heat of the night because that's that won the Oscar. Okay. Okay, it's up to you. If you'd rather do the producers than than guess than you, you definitely want the Dirty Dozen on there though. I like. Well, you haven't seen the Dirty Dozen. I have not. You see, I think the produ- the producers could even be better. I mean, I I really like the Dirty Dozen. Is it? We can do the producers and guess who's coming to dinner if you want. Jesus, this is tough. To be determined. We can we can sleep on it. It's yeah, fine. I'd rather do that. That's I don't know. Okay. But for sure, Bonnie and Clyde graduate in the heat of the night, cool hand Luke. Oh yeah. Those are in, and then the other two we'll figure out later. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, funny. I didn't even see the producers. Okay. Let me just make sure we're not missing anything else. Uh Dr. Doolittle, the original. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, we got better things to do. Two for the road. I heard that's a pretty good movie. Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Huh? Aubrey Hepburn. Yeah, two for the road. It's like a little comedy. Okay. That's all right. We'll 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 talk about it off air. But that is what's coming next week. Nineteen sixty seven. We have some watching to do. Okay. Good. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. We got some more watching to do. That's what's gonna happen though when we devolve well not devolve but like go back in time with these older movies there's so many that we haven't seen yeah we wanted to go back and do the 60s because we had sort of blown it off for a while we did one year from the 60s and then we we fell back on the more recent movies but i think this would be more interesting yeah if we ever get back to 1954 you're gonna have a bad time i am yeah you are what came out in 1954 well gojira came out in 1954 what's that godzilla the original jesus as did seven samurai and yep, there is no list that doesn't include both of those movies. I am sorry. <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> Why do you do this to me? No. Rear Window came out that year. Oh, wow. Wow. Dial M for Murder. Ooh, okay. Like- the Judy Garland Star is Born. Oh, that's a fun one. Interesting. Oh, 1954. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. I love that. 
Oh, wow. Maybe we'll do that afterwards. Right. Yeah, we'll do that in a couple of weeks. Okay, that'll be fun. All right. This has been the Movie Hall of Fame or Movie Hopping or whatever you want to call it. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, whatever you do. Go uh, ahead. Find us on the website at uh, TMT underscore media on Twitter. Is that right? No, at yeah, at TMT underscore media on Twitter. Uh, TMT dot media is the site. Too many thoughts media dot com will get you to the same place. You can find all of our podcasts, new and old, just this week on Why Is This a Thing? You were not there, so nope. you know it's better. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Always. We were joined by Rob from Two Cents Radio, and we did the movie The River Wild from 1994. Great time. Nick, Rob, and myself uh, talked an hour and just laughed at Meryl Streep and Kevin Bacon, and it was just a blast. Uh, cultured, Nico show, Get Blurted, Fantasy Book of the Month. If any of those sound interesting, go check out the site. And they all do, guys. They all sound interesting. I love you. I love you so very, very much. And folks, until next time. Happy movie hopping hall of fame? Question mark? It's a bear. Ah. It's a bear. <laughs> <laughs>